Psalms chapter 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lot upon my vesture. Be not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, and triumphing over them in it. Again, I desire your prayers. This is strange. Um, One of the strangest Thoughts I've had probably since I've been preaching. That's a long time. That's a lot of preaching. And, uh, and I don't remember everyone this strange, but, uh, but I want to I wanna take the text out of those two things that I read. And, and much like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, you can go to Isaiah chapter 14, and you can go to Ezekiel chapter number 28. And both of those were lamentations against uh, uh, kings of Tyre and Sidon, kings of of other nations, and they fit. 
Uh, but they were also, no doubt in my mind, uh, speaking of uh, our arch enemy, which we know today is Satan. That word simply means an adversary. Uh, and and it calls him Lucifer, which is the light bearer. Uh, and, and so there's no doubt in my mind that those scriptures, while they do pertain to kings of this earth, also pertain to our arch enemy, Satan himself. And there's also no doubt in my mind that while this Psalm 22 uh, speaks partly of David's experiences with the enemy and David's experiences that he, uh, that he had with kings and men on this earth, uh, there is no doubt in my mind that, uh, that while writing that, God tra- tra- transformed David into a different place. And this is a prophecy having to do with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross at Golgotha. Uh, And I say that because even Christ Himself quotes from Psalms 22 uh, while He's being crucified, as we're going to see. But I've thought about those things, and again, I've forgotten when the Lord started dealing with me that it was the Lord's Supper, uh, but that's all right. It'll work out just the same. Uh, But I want to take my thought, uh, and it's strange, uh, but I'm going to try to preach to you on the thought, dogs don't bark at parked cars. And that's about as strange of a title as I ever have had. Uh, But I thought about that this week, and it's so true. Uh, Having grown up with dogs and been around dogs most of my life, uh, and and we had them yippy kind that would just bark and bark and bark any time a car would go by. But as long as everything was still and nothing was moving, uh, those dogs would remain fairly quiet until something caught their attention, and then they would begin to bark. I want you to understand today that our adversary uh, is no different than those dogs. Uh, uh, that says in this scripture to save me from the power of the dogs. Uh, and I've thought about that this week. The Apostle Paul uh, says in Philippians to beware of dogs. And he's not meaning animals that are running around. He says beware of dogs. Uh, beware of the concision. Now what was that? Uh, that was a group of people who tried to, who tried to install salvation by grace and works. Uh, they tried to install that you had to be circumcised in order for you to be saved. And so they added unto the Lord's plan of salvation. And Paul said to beware of dogs and beware of those men. And you're unfortunately living in a time today uh, I would indeed encourage you uh, beware of dogs uh, that stand behind the sacred desk and uh, preach unto you a false doctrine of a false Christ from a false scripture and and they're everywhere today. And so that message still rings true to beware of dogs. But I thought about in this case, I I thought about uh, what the scripture said and it starts off uh, as somebody who's been thrust into the midst of a fight. Uh, The psalmist starts off, uh, it's one of the greatest mysteries that uh, that we will never comprehend. And I won't do it justice this morning. There's no way uh, we can ever get inside what the mind and heart of Christ was dealing with uh, 2,000 years ago. How about the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians and chapter number 11. Uh, we know that the Apostles wrote of the Lord's Supper, uh, wrote of Him instituting it. How about the Apostle Paul didn't receive that revelation from Peter or from James or from John. How about the Bible says clearly in that letter uh, that the Lord hath given unto me. And so the Lord revealed 
revealed unto Paul uh, exactly why he instituted that supper. Uh, but, and it's all to do with remembering. And I will say this, if you've never been saved, you are not welcome at this table. Uh, that's not to be harsh or not to be mean, uh, but quite honestly it means this. If this is a remembrance, if this is a service to remember the one that you loved, if you don't know Him, uh, there is no way to remember Him. Uh, not in the sense that we do, uh, but we that know the Spirit of Christ, we that know uh, we that know the Redeemer in that special bond, uh, we that have been born again by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, we remember Him. And I believe He instituted this, that we would remember Him, uh, because He knew how forgetful that man would be. Uh, surely you can't forget your best friend, uh, but oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we forget what the salvation of our soul costs. Oftentimes we forget, or maybe we've never even thought really about the battle that went on inside that God-man. About the battle that he was thrust into. And now this psalmist opens with the cry, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And the Apostle Paul said, This is a remembrance. Let me ask you this. Is there ever been a night in this world's history that something should ever be remembered more than this night? Of all nights that have ever dawned on the history of planet Earth, my friend, the night that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was betrayed by His friend in the Garden of Gethsemane and hauled off by wicked men called off by those dogs and taken to a torture chamber and taken before men and judges of this land. If there was ever a night that should be remembered, it's that night. It's the night that the Lord gathered those twelve together and He said with great desire, I desire to eat this with you before I suffer. It's the night that He said after supper being ended, as Satan having entered into the heart, of Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, one that had been with him. It was the night that, that his dear friend Peter would deny him. It was the night that he would be, he would be bowed down. You know what? We often say bowed down. Luke's Gospel says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knelt down. You know what Mark says? Mark's Gospel was a little more forceful. Now Mark's Gospel, after that Christ had been baptized, it says He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark uses forceful words like driven. And he says He was there with the wild beast with those dogs. He was there when Satan came against him at his lowest moment. When he was hungry, he had been without food 40 days and 40 nights. And it was then that Satan attacked. I want you to understand today above anything else, when your faith begins to grow weary, when your body begins to get sick, when you are weak, either physical or mental or spiritual, that's the time that your enemy will seek to devour you. It's what he did to Christ. But, but, but Mark's Gospel says in that Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't say he nailed, it said he failed. It says he failed to his knees. 
That's pretty forceful. That's the Son of God falling to His knees as the wake of what was about to happen began to really dawn on Him. Now He had known this. He had chosen this. And everything that He did, as the Scripture said in the Psalms, there that you were my God from my mother's womb. You know how God protected Him. You see, we often, speaking of Satan, and in Sunday school we had a good description of Satan and who he is and where it is that he came from and who it is that he was created. And he was a lot there, as I've said. He was, he, was, he was so beautiful. Matter of fact, it says, because of thy beauty, pride was lifted up. No doubt he was a beautiful thing to behold. But sometimes, sometimes we don't give Satan maybe enough credit. He's powerful. But let me tell you this, sometimes we, we equal Him with God. That's not so. That's simply not so. And I said that to say this, as Satan had no idea. He had no idea what the plan of salvation was. I don't think God ever included him or any other angel in on the plan of salvation. I don't think, I think Satan knew the prophecy the gospel was preached for the first time by God himself in Genesis chapter number 3 somewhere around verse 15. The gospel was preached in the Garden of Eden that Satan should bruise the heel of Jesus but Jesus would bruise the head or crush the head of that serpent. That was the first gospel message ever preached. And so Satan knew that. He knew what that prophecy was. He had no idea when Christ Jesus... Let me, let me just say it this way. Uh, Satan, God is omniscient. He knows everything. He is everything. He's everywhere at all times. Satan is not. He's not. Uh, Satan cannot be almighty. He cannot be everywhere at once. He cannot be in your head and my head. But he does have a legion. Many legions probably of demons that fail with him. And so they make war. And the prophecy was that there will be enmity. See, between that before even Adam sinned and partaken of that fruit, there was no enmity between Satan and the woman. None whatsoever. But after they sinned, and God said, Now I will put enmity between you and your seed. And the seed of, of that serpent shall persecute the seed of that woman. And so when that psalmist said, but speaking of Christ, that thou wert my God from my mother's womb, there was enmity. But Satan knew nothing about when things were going to happen. He had no idea the plan that God had installed. But don't you know this? It's my opinion today. I can't back this up with Bible, but it is my opinion uh, that Satan knew nothing of the night that Jesus was born. I think that that I think that the virgin gave birth. I think she gave birth and laid him in a manger. And so, from the time that Jesus was born, there was no room for him. Uh, there was already enmity there, uh, but God had uh, brought forth this miraculous thing. You realize that by the incarnation of God becoming a man, our Lord now has taken upon Him a body and a soul. That's a big thing. He incarnated Himself. And He said, You've protected me from my mother's womb. You've been my God since the night that Mary delivered me. And I think Satan had no idea what had just happened. Until something else happened. And there was a time the shepherds were abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And I still think Satan had no idea what and who had just been birthed onto this earth. But see, if I'm of the opinion that when the angel showed up to the shepherds and said unto them, Rejoice! For in this day in the city of David there's been a Savior born unto you, which is Christ the Lord. I believe when that herald rang out and it was announced by the angels to the shepherds that Christ has been born. That was the time Satan began to understand now God is walking among men. And from that time on, Satan put his mark or his finger upon that Christ child. From that moment on, Satan began to conspire against that holy thing, that holy child named Jesus, which should save people from their sins. And so from that time forward, Satan began to rouse his armies. And you see, the Bible says uh, that he, uh, Jesus encountered a man by the name of Legion one time. And what does that word mean? It means they were organized. It means there were demons and they were organized. A Roman Legion was a military facet. I mean, they were organized and had strategies. And from that moment that Christ was born, Satan came at our Lord with everything he had. From that moment on, not knowing the plan of salvation, not knowing the things that God was going to do, but He set forth His mark upon Christ Jesus. And as a baby, God did deliver His darling out of the mouth of the lion. For Satan had stirred up, uh, stirred up Herod to tell the wise men to bring me word of where this child is and I want to worship him too. Now that was a lie. Herod sought to, to kill him and he sought to kill Christ from a, from a little child. And so all the way through his life, Satan had his mark. Satan was an adversary. And so God miraculously saved his darling, and protected him all of, the, all of that time. Since the time that Christ was born into this world, uh, he, knew an, he knew a fellowship with the Father uh, that, uh, that other people did not know. Uh, for the Spirit was poured out not in measure upon Christ, but in its fullness. Uh, Christ Jesus uh, is the Godhead bodily. He is God come in the flesh. And Satan tried everything he could to stand against this holy man. And so, uh, so when it comes time uh, that the reason he was born was now here. So it was in that night that he gathered those apostles together and tried to explain to them, I must go away from you. And where I'm going now, you cannot come. Up until that time, death. Uh, Satan, according to Hebrews, uh, he, uh, he tormented people with death. Uh, he had the power of death. Uh, he had the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And so he was able uh, to lord that over men for thousands of years. Until this night. And we pick up the reading there. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And Mark said that Jesus fell on his knees in the garden. Luke says that as he began to pray, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He goes back to his apostles, those that loved him, and they were asleep. 
and he was hurt. Could you not stay awake and watch with me one hour? That's not asking a whole lot. Just an hour. He said, I know your flesh is willing, but your spirit's weak. He went back the second time and he prayed, Lord, if it be thy will that this cup does not pass from me except I drink it, then I'll drink it. And it says the angels came and ministered to him. And he prayed one more time. And the third time he prayed, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He knew no sin. He had never carried sin. He had no idea. I mean, he knew he knew because he was God, but he never, ever, ever felt the pain of sin in his soul. He was pure and he was holy. But knowing what was about to happen, he prayed. And he said, if it be thy will, that the only way this cup will be empty is not that you pass it from me. If I have to drink it to its bitter dregs, Father, I'll drink it. And so they came in the garden and they took him. And he allowed it to happen. Now it would have been one thing, my God, why have you forsaken me? They took him from the midst of the garden of Gethsemane. His apostles fled and they followed him. Peter, I think, and John followed him a long ways off. But nobody came to the forefront. Everything he did, he did absolutely alone. No man stood with him. And so as he was now in the early morning hours before the judgment hall, they paraded him before Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate. Isaiah says it like this, that he bared his back to the smiters, to those that plucked off the beard of his hair, of his head. Uh, he didn't turn his cheek from him, not even when they spit upon him, not even when they blindfolded him, not even when they struck him with their open hands, not even when they closed their fists. The Bible said they called the entire legion of that Roman army into that corporate uh, corporate judgment hall. Every soldier that they had at their disposal was now brought in and each one took their shot and their turn at beating our Lord. And still, he opened not his mouth. See, he could understand why Peter did what he did. He could understand why Judas did what he did. But there was one that was constantly with him from the moment that he was born of that virgin birth. And that was the spirit and power of God the Father in the Holy Ghost. It had never left him. He had a, he had a, he, he had a fellowship that had never been broken until now. And when they begin to lead him out and they begin to shout at him and the Bible says those dogs came against him. You know, people bore false witnesses. They were the dogs. We talked in Sunday school, sowing discord among the brethren. God hates that thing. That's a big thing. And it's going on in our churches. Shame on us. They bore false witnesses. Those dogs. Now remember, I'm preaching to you that dogs don't bark at park cars. 
Satan didn't understand all of it. He understood something was about to take place. All of his scheming, all of his plotting, all of his planning, every day of his wretched, miserable existence from the time that Christ was born had led to this one night. And Satan brought the hounds of hell against your Lord and Master. Brought the hounds of hell. Can I tell you today his hell hounds are roaming loose on this earth? Can I tell you today uh, that uh, that if we can see them or believe them, or you might not, you might think I'm a fool. That's all right. I, I promise you today, the hounds of hell are circling in this place right now. Amen. They are here. Satan cannot be everywhere at one time, but in this case, on the cross, uh, when the when the when the judgment went forth, crucify him. And Pilate delivered him unto their will. And Christ Jesus said, Now is your hour. Talking to Satan. Now is the hour of darkness. And now is the power of evil. But he had told his apostles, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. See, there was a battle that had started in the Garden of of Eden and that battle raged all the way down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And now that battle had moved out of the Garden under Golgotha, under the place, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says they offered unto Him vinegar mixed with myrrh and when He had tasted that, He would not drink. That's a pretty big thing. Why? What is that preacher? Vinegar mixed with myrrh was a stupefying agent. It would cause you to not feel like you would normally feel. And when our Lord realized what they gave Him, it wasn't because they were being merciful. I believe it was told they did that. They gave criminals. They were crucifying that stupefying drink so they wouldn't resist. So when they nailed Him to the cross, they wouldn't resist. It would make them dose or doseful. It would make them just lay down. It would make them not care, not feel something like anesthesia. And our Lord took one drink of that and He refused it. And He said unto Himself, I must drink this to the bitter dregs and feel. Our Lord looked from the balcony of heaven one day and wondered what it would be to plunge Himself in the depths of despair. He found out this night that's to be remembered above all nights that have ever been on this earth. And so, when, the, when, the, when Pilate's judgment went forth to crucify Him, and they stripped Him again, naked, beaten, and ashamed, bloody, beaten to the point where He couldn't even carry His own cross, it was now the time that that battle commenced in Golgotha. Now was the time. And there's a song that's talking about the angels sitting down. He told Pilate, I could have called upon all of these angels and they would have came and delivered me. He said, but my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, I would fight. And my angels and my servants would come. But he didn't call. I believe they were gathered at the ready. For the angels didn't understand it all either. The plan of salvation was unfolding before all of heaven hell and earth. The plan of salvation was being unfolded to those hounds of hell. The plan of salvation was being unfolded to those holy angels in heaven above. Waiting around to see what would happen to their master. 
and their Lord. And they were ready to go. And I believe maybe the father looked at him, told them to sit down, told them his son was not going to call, and told them that day in that song it says, I know that you can save him, but he's not the one in need. And see, he became sin for us who knew no sin. Think about that. So when we start that cry in that in that in my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can understand Peter's motive. I can understand Judas's motive. I can understand the apostles that fled, but he cried out to his father. I understand they left, but why have you left? We talked Wednesday night about questioning. Jesus did not sin in asking that question. It was because for the first time since He had from eternity that has no beginning and no end, for the first time His fellowship had been broken. Not because of anything He had done, but because it was in this hour I know we understand the pain. We're fixing to take the bread and the wine. The bread is separate from the wine. That signifies that the body is separate from the blood, that He was drained of His lifeblood. We can understand to an extent what excruciating pain that was as His back was laid open, as every short, shallow breath from that cross, He had to put the full weight of his, of his whole body on that nail in His feet, and His back would slide up that rough pole that they formed a cross with and scrape it all to pieces again. We can understand the humiliation of being stripped naked, watching them part their garments and gamble for it. We can understand to a degree uh, the not being able to breathe. The psalmist, there was no crucifixions when David wrote that. Yet somehow he saw perfectly ahead in time to a time when Romans would use this as a method of torture and death. The crucifixion didn't exist at this time. But David yet accurately portrayed that all of Christ's bones were out of joint, that he was dehydrated, and that his tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth, that he would say, I thirst and am thirsty, and that all of his bones would be out of joint, and that his heart would physically smother. That's why he died physically. If you want a medical explanation, the fluid began to back up into his heart and to the point where he could not breathe. And David said it like this, my heart is melted like wax. God showed David a few things. But all the time on the cross, he was hanging there. And the point I wanted to get to is this, and I've done exhausted all my time. Didn't even get to my point. The point I want to make is this. Those hellhounds were around the cross. When David cried out, and, and, and prophesied about Jesus Christ. What did he say? He said the dogs, first he said strong bulls of Bashan compass me around. He said the dogs of hell are around my soul. Save my darling from the power of the lie. You see, when you begin to make an approach unto God, what happens? The hell hounds will surround you and they'll tell you don't go to the altar. Now don't you repent. Don't you pray. There'll be time for that after you're saved. 
I want you to understand it only gets worse than that. Those hellhounds would say that wouldn't it. That's not salvation. That's not what it feels like. And you tell them today if that's something you're fighting in your life. Those hellhounds have no idea what it feels like to be saved and therefore have no authority to tell you that that wasn't real. Those hellhounds were about the master on the tree. He said, and David prophesied of it, that they will mock me and curse me. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say when Jesus Christ was on the tree, a man, chief priest, Pharisee, Sadducee, scribes surrounded him and mocked him and pounded on their chest in him. You don't think Satan does that to people today? But let me remind you, dogs don't bark at parked cars. If Satan is tormenting your soul, if Satan is having his way with your spiritual struggle and your spiritual life, unless there is something inside of you that is drawn to Christ, he will not bother you one bit. But the moment you try, the moment you draw near to Christ, the moment you, you begin to work out that salvation with fear and trembling, and even after you've been saved by God's grace and you're trying to serve God, He unleashes those hounds of hell on you. Now what did Colossians have to do with that? Colossians tells about a victory. Satan had no idea. Satan thought he was winning. When he looked upon that cross and those hounds of hell circled about the bottom of the cross, Satan rejoiced. If he's ever possible, if it's ever possible in his miserable existence to rejoice, he rejoiced that day. For he had bruised the heel of the Son of God. No doubt about that. He was bleeding and dying on the tree. And Satan realized he's not coming down. He's not getting out of this alive. And Satan rejoiced. And those hounds of hell rejoiced. And they were all gathered around him as a man, not as God, but as a man hanging there alone. And when he cried, it is finished. Satan rejoiced. Satan had no idea how powerful those three words are. For when he said it is finished, Satan understood that he had won. But what he actually did, when he said it is finished, he defeated death, hell and the grave, on the spot. You see, Paul said that the handwriting of ordinances are against us. What is that? That's your sin. What is the handwriting of ordinances? That's the law of God. That's the law that you have broken. That's the law that in the courtroom of heaven, that's the law that declares the fact that you stand before God guilty. Guilty. And when that sentence is read on judgment day, it will declare you guilty and cast into hellfire. But what Paul said was he took that handwriting of ordinances he took those sins, those filthy sins of the flesh, those secret sins that nobody knows about but you, Satan and God. 
He took those sins and every sin and He nailed it. When they nailed our Lord to the tree, He had in His hand the handwriting of ordinances and it was nailed through His hand and into that tree. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us. So the whole time the hellhounds surrounded the Son of God on that tree, shouting the victory when Christ Jesus said, It is finished. What He meant was your sins have been discharged. They've been forgiven. They were taken out of the way. What does that mean? That's what Colossians said. They, they were nailed they were nailed to His tree and taken out of the way. It means that now, those who have repented, those who have, who have repented unto life, those who have believed unto life, those who have been born again, they can search in heaven high and low. They can go through every court document. They can go through every book. And they can go through everything. And guess what? From a legal standpoint, your sins are not there. They are gone. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Satan has the Satan has the power that God grants unto him. And no more. Sometimes over the course of time, God has granted Satan permission to wage war on the inside of a believer. Sometimes he gives him permission to wage war on the hell of a believer. Listen, dogs don't park at parked cars. Has there ever been a time in your life where your sins have been forgiven and Satan muddies the water, tries to tell you that wasn't it, but you know very well something happened to you that night or that day, that morning, that hour. You know something happened, but you can't quite trust it. You listen to me. The dogs do not bark at parked cars. There was no enmity. There was no enmity. Before she sinned. Do you have a hard time with sin? Does sin torment you? Lay it at the feet of Jesus. When He said it is finished, He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. Paul says it like this. He spoiled all of those hellhounds. Those hounds of hell circling him. Paul says he spoiled principalities and powers. What does that mean? It means he disarmed them. It means that Satan and all of his minions and all of his myriads of hosts, all of his legions of demons, and that on the cross of Jesus Christ, he disarmed them and spoiled them took their power away, stripped them of their power and their might that they had wielded over mankind. He spoiled them, disarmed them of everything that they could hold over man. Spoiled principalities and powers. That's a big thing. I know we fear dying. Those of us who have been saved, we don't fear death, we fear dying. There are fears that come and they go. They ebb and they flow. Some days are good. Some days are hard. And it's on those hard days that Satan will drive a wedge between you and your God. Try to make you doubt things contained in the Scripture. Try to make you doubt things that you know happened in your soul. Dogs don't bark at part cars. When Christ was on the cross, 
the hellhounds were sent after him. You're not going to be any different. They're coming for you too. And when they do, remind yourself on that cross they were disarmed of all the power that they had and made a show of openly. When Christ Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, He made a spectacle. He made a show. Now guess what? Revelation 12, Satan knows that he has a short time. He's in a rage today because he's been soundly defeated 2,000 years ago. And he knows he has but a short time. And he will wreak havoc until that time when time is no more. He's in a rage because he knows he has a short time. The hellhounds are coming for you. I just want to remind you they've been disarmed. All because of the night that we celebrate right here when our Lord and Savior willfully, willfully took upon Himself our sins, nailed Him to His tree. By doing that, spoiled all principality and power, disarmed Satan of His fear, disarmed Satan of His power, that now we that believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shall be saved.